What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week, I've got YouTube star Rob Winland on the show with us. Rob, what's going on? Not much, man. I didn't know I was a YouTube star, but that's cool, though. <laughs> yeah, I had to throw that in there. I just did another story on one of the, one of the videos you put out there, and it's a, it's a treasure trove of really cool stuff. I, I dig your channel. It's definitely a, it's neat to see the, the behind the scenes on what actually happens with, uh, with these vehicles. I mean, there is a lot of cool stuff that, you know, I take it for granted what I do every day. I love it so much, you know, but there's people out there that maybe don't have that tool or this or don't even, you know, don't do it enough to know that there's a, maybe a certain way to do something that's easier or whatever. So I'm just kind of my open book with it. You know, a lot of crew chiefs are all just hush hush about this and that and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a combination. So it's all this stuff. It's not just like one thing, you know, that makes a car run good. And I can't go over and just tune this guy's car and with his stuff. You know, it might take my stuff because that's my combination. Right. But um, it's really cool to, sh you know, to share that kind of stuff. And but hearing all the comments on like YouTube and TikTok and things like that, it's uh, that probably puts the value in doing it, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ge gearheads love stuff like that. The the mechanical side of things. I know when I'm ever at a national event, I'll roam around and, you know, use the old uh, media vest, uh, nice pass to go back in there and i'll just sit there and watch these guys i'll be like do you need us to get out of the way i'm like no i just i want to see what you're doing and learn about it and it's just it's really cool to to hear and see what the nitro side of things do just for the sheer uh, extreme nature of it it's um it, it's just kind of i don't know what i want to say you know what you know deal with nascar and stuff a little bit too you know i have friends there and it's, i've always said man they're over there with like dental instruments and like this and then we're over here with hammers you know <laughs> drag racing you know kind of the difference between the two worlds you know because these things are so damn mad um but it's kind of cool to see those differences but i take it for granted but when i share it i get that feedback and i'm like oh well, yeah well that's cool you know you guys never been around that i even got corrected on a my last youtube video i did i was talking about the fuel system on the one of these things you know and i was talking about you know when you unplug a, a bathtub and when the water gets low enough you know it starts to suck some air right well, when a fuel pump does that, it develops into cavitation. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. No, it, yes, you're right. It does go into cavitation. But what you really mean is ventilation because oh. it is drawing air. After it draws the air, it takes the air and brings it back and makes it cavitate in between the gears. And this guy's a boat racer. I'm like, ah, that's cool as hell. I've been saying it wrong, you know, for 55 years. So, <laughs> Now, we briefly talked about this in our preview thing. You, you know, you're still with Terry. Now, is, you know, with what you guys got going on and once, you know, hopefully that gets going again, are we going to see videos including that or, you know, what's going on there? Oh, no, no, it definitely is going to be a wide open book. You know, I think it's good for everybody involved, uh, especially for Terry and maybe drawing in some other sponsors and things like that, you know. And for people to see the behind the scenes of, of what it takes to put one of these things together, to roll down the, tr you know, the road, you know, hell, checking into a hotel at midnight, you know, and you're tired from the next day, all those kinds of things. You, you get the gig, right? And um, you can be a weekend racer and you know what it really is because you got to show up Monday to a job and you got to drive all night Sunday to get back from where you were at, you know, to get back to work where when you're a professional like this, you know, you're, you wake up Monday morning and stretched out and like, I feel good. I think we can get everything loaded up today and take off today and get back by Tuesday night or something. So it, it's, uh, 
I think, you know, being a, a weekend racer and stuff like that, sometimes it's a little tougher because you're spending all that time that you could be with your family, you know, um, out in the garage working on your stuff where we're showing up eight to five, you know, working on race car stuff every day. So. And you guys are basically, uh, you're, you're loading the magazine up, getting ready when, you know, when the, like you said, when, when the, when the, when the time is right, you, you and Terry are going to be able to lock and load, hire some people and go burn some nitro. Um, I think so. You know, there's, we've always say like, oh yeah, there's a contract or something like that. But until the check actually hits the bank, you know, that's when, uh, that separates the shit from the bullshit. That's the way I kind of look at it. And well, you got to have that money anyway to go forward. So you got to have it. And so, you know, we're not at that point right now, but I, you know, from what I'm told, it's, it's getting closer and I'm going to make sure that we have this investment for someone else ready to go. Um, you know, what thing I take for granted is like, I have five people around me here. You know, I got one guy's doing cylinder heads and the guy's doing blowers, you know, and my girl was doing the clutch and all that stuff. Well, it's a whole day's of work, right? So there's five extra people there are helping you. And then I'm doing what I'm doing. And so now, like, I need cylinder heads put together. Well, that's one day for Rob Wendland, right? That my other guy would have been doing, right? And then he's going to need two days to do that. So there's a third of my week just to do the cylinder heads and then clutch packs and all this other stuff, you know what I mean? So when you're by yourself, oh, my God, it takes a, a week project into a month, you know? So I just kind of want to be ahead a little bit. Um, I still have my business that I run. And I get a little bit of money from that. But I want to be invested in case we do have something that we can get out there and, and get trucking hit the ground rolling, right? Yep, that's for sure. Now, the art of building high horsepower nitro machines isn't something they typically most teach in school, you know. How did you end up spinning wrenches for some of the some of the biggest names in the business? How, how did your journey kind of happen? <laughs> I'll try and do give you the short on it, but you know, when I was a kid, I was just facts, you know, facts weighted with this race cars, man. And I think a lot of kids are and stuff, you know, but I had neighbors that had like race cars and at an early age that's what I, I wanted to do my brothers when I got a little older they had you know this street stuff 68 Mustang and one had a 65 with a front straight axle under it and stuff you know and so I was the kid riding in the back seat kind of deal but uh, neighbors would take me out to a local track in Lawrence Kansas uh, eighth mile track and I would go out there and do whatever I could clean an oil pan whatever and eventually got to know people and then uh, raced my own stuff, you know, I had a 74 Pinto, you know, that I had 2300 and I had a header on it and a Holly 394 barrel on it, you know, from Don Speed Shop. And here I was beating up this four cylinder way back before any of these little rice burners were out there, you know. But so that just developed. And then alcohol dragster guys, you know, Tim Baxter and Donnie Cornbrust, whatever I could do to help them. And then it turned into doing the cylinder heads and building motors and then tuning them and then when you get good and you win races and then you're wanted maybe, you know, and 1993, I took a, a, a change of my life and I went to work for Daryl Hitchman and we were the only alcohol car that was out there full time, full time. We went to every national event where, you know, they had alcohol cars then at every event. And plus we did division races also. And you knew who the guy was that was, slept in the same bed with me because we could only afford one hotel room. And the same guy that slept in the bed with me was Ron Caps. We were the two guys that worked on his car and traveled the whole deal, you know? And then um, after that, it was like Randy Parks, you know, alcohol deal. And then uh, did real well. But through that whole time, Vern Motes was a great friend of mine, late Vern Motes. I learned a lot from him. And 
then it turned into uh, uh, an ex-father-in-law of mine, John Lawson. You know, he had a, an alcohol funny car, Lucas sponsored, and it turned into a fuel operation. And that's when I met Mark Oswald. And Mark was a great teacher. And, and Mark uh, got me a job actually with uh, John Force. So I worked directly underneath Austin Coyle. And so that Mark had, you know, told uh, Coyle what kind of person I was. I guess I was all right. Um, you know, you asked me if I could get a, a broken bolt out, how I would do it. And I said, well, I'd take a TIG welder first and weld a nut on it, see if I could get it out that way, way before I'd drill it. And you go, all right, you're good. Like, you know, you, you got to be over 40 to get a bolt out, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Anyway, so that was, uh, that was a big move in my career working for him. And, and so, but if it wasn't for Mark Oswald and Brian Karate and all these great crew chiefs that I've worked under, you know, it's a small circle. And so people talk and if you're a piece of crap, they're not going to talk good about you. And if you're doing your job and you're a hard worker and you think you got a good mindset of how to make one of these things run and stuff, that's where it kind of starts getting you into that. But it takes a lot of hard work to get to that point. I wonder, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that difference of, you know, the back in, we'll say the seventies, the eighties, when, you know, used to travel is, is the entire crew and sleep in the one hotel deals that how much that, that really hardened the guys of that era versus maybe some of them now that, you know, they don't understand that level of the struggle. Right. Yeah. I think it all just, it's like, you know, we talk millennials and all that stuff. Well, I'm Gen X. Right. We're like the most dangerous people out there because like we learned from all the, the old school guys. But then we had the technology of you know the millennials. And it's like we're all we're really jacked up and we didn't even have like drugs back in the day to help us with depression and things like that. You know, so Gen X is like they're mad. And so you want to survive. Right. Well, when we had kids, the problem is, is that they're millennials. Right. I even married one one time as a bad deal. But anyway, so we had kids and we want the best for our kids, right? We don't want them to go through that stuff that we did. And so we make everything cushy for them. Well, now we made them all cushy and they, they, they expect it. And now we're giving them, you know, money and all this other stuff. And so anyway, I'm not going to get into politics, but it seems like just like now that we're giving away so much money, nobody wants to work. So it's, I guess it's like hearing those old stories from your grandpa. We had to walk 12 miles naked, you know, and, and snow foot deep, you know, to get to school. Right. And now I start sounding like that guy, you know, it's like, we used to drive like all night to get to this racetrack and this and that, you know, and, and now it's like, you mean, what do you mean? I'm not going to fly in. What, what I got to ride in the truck. Oh gosh. You know what I mean? So anyway, so I guess it's just how times change, but we ruined it ourselves because we made it so much easier on our next generation. How's that? Oh, I, I giggle when I see people complain that, oh, I, I have to park on the grass in an event. I'm like, man, growing <laughs> up, like if we got to park on the pavement at a track, that was like because there was nobody else there. I, yeah. I grew up at Quaker City Motorsports Park in Salem, Ohio, parking my dad's 67 Nova in the grass with no pit mat, nonetheless. You know, oh, yeah. You, yeah. You, you know, it, it, it's funny to see how some people don't understand the adversity and, you know, how technology has made things easier. That's why I, I love talking to the guys that kind of been through that era, especially in nitro racing, because, you know, you mentioned earlier how drag racing were beating stuff with hammers. That's how old school drag racing were like, it, it was so stone ages that it was amazing that what you guys accomplished with those cars back then is 
pretty mind-boggling. The thing is, you, you, you showed up with your motor, right? This is like the crap that you built, right? You might have a machine shop guy that did some of the work for you and stuff like that. But, you know, I watched some of these shows and stuff like that, and it's like, yeah, it's got this other guy's name all over the motor. He basically took that motor and he shoved it in his frame rails that he got from someone else, right? And then he got this electronic program from this cat that this ran good on this guy's car. And you shove these all things. So you just bought this thing and you're throwing it together. And then you go out and run it, right? And it's and it runs pretty decent. But like our area stuff like that, if you wanted to get ahead, like, man, you had to do stuff yourself. You had to find out what those failures were and all that other stuff, you know? And so it's a plug and play kind of thing now, which is cool. Um, but uh, I think from our era, like it was really a lot of, technology from um what i want to say just uh, trial and error you know oh yeah so, yeah, yeah there, there were no modeling programs for cylinder heads to see what they were going to flow you'd have to take a set of heads cut them up and be like oh that didn't work yeah right well, over to the <laughs> side right so yeah so anyway i i mean i dig it though like the all the ls stuff man it's just crazy like it's just mind-boggling to me because we used to work so hard to have a small block make 400 horsepower you know what i mean and these things fall out of a crate you know 600 or something you know and it's like you look at the ports and stuff you're like what what i was doing this all wrong you know <laughs> now i will say this the ls project cars that i'm working especially my street turbo car my good friend scott cordell's helped out quite a bit with this there's a lot of theory on, yes, you can do all, you can make an LS go a, make a thousand horsepower for a hundred dollars. Yeah. But you're only going to make that one time. You, right. you, you <laughs> learn something about reliability and reliability yeah. is yeah. where that that's the bridge where some people fall off it. Or if you spend the time and money, you get what you need out of it. And that comes from technology and development. It's all, you know what, that's like goes everywhere with nitro racing, you know, it's like you know, when we first got in the program with Terry, we were, it was a bailout. We had a good amount of debt, you know, and so you race within your budget and that budget means you're only going to go so fast. Right. So if you run, you know, mid 80s, it's X amount of money to run that like this part lasts this long. Now, when you start running like high 70s, OK, now we've just lost two passes on, say, a piston now because we're that much harder on it. So that nutrition rate goes up as the horsepower goes up. And so. These guys that are, you know, like dead set 60s and stuff like that, like it's hard on stuff. Like cycle it's, time. Part it cycle does. Time. So the budget is required to replace that junk or the junk just keeps falling apart and it's just bad deal, right? Now the injector's gone, the blower's gone, the intake's gone. You know what I mean? Because you didn't just service out this piston, although it kind of looked good, but it was made for three runs and you put five on it and the fifth run, it didn't make it, right? Now everything else is junk. So you get into the replacement program for what your budget is and then how fast you want to run. Now, uh, when I was saw when I did the story in the video about the, uh, the blower fixture intake manifold deal that you did with Austin Coyle, that's when I found that you, you worked under the legend Austin Coyle. And I've always found him to be a fascinating person based on some of the things I've watched, you know, his history at the Chi town hustler, you know, the old show winners that they had and seeing like when he first came on with John force, just his whole demeanor, the toothpick, the whole deal. What was it like for you working for Austin Coyle? It's scary at first, seriously, because, you know, when you, when you talk about Austin Coyle, that's how I talked about and thought about Austin Coyle at the time. Like nobody had won any more races than he had or championships. That was the guy. 
He won more championships than John Force, right? Because he'd won a couple with Frank Ollie beforehand. You know what I mean? So it's like this guy is is the guy, and what he went through to become who he is that was it was huge to me. So when I got to work underneath him, I was I was doing everything I can right as I mean trying to do everything I could right and not to uh, step out of line and things like that. But you know what I think turned the corner for me and him a little bit was, cause there's a couple of times like, man, he'd make you feel like you were, you know, about that high, you know, cause it's, you're basically in boot camp at that point. You're in an army and there's going to be some yelling and, and it, cause the motions are high and this is a high level energy job, you know, and it's all based off of what you've done in four seconds. Right. You know, and there's so much to it. And then, you know, you got owners over here and drivers and all these other guys, and there's all this animosity everywhere, you know. And anyway, so um, I went to him because I never looked at the runs and things like that. I would look at the parts. I'd bring him the parts, let him know what was going on with the motor as the car chief, you know. And I asked him, I said, would you mind if I look at some runs, you know? He goes, which, which runs do you want to look at? Well, I said, well, I would like to look at Q3 and Q4 where it didn't make it, you know like that and he's like huh okay so he gave them to me and then about an hour later so he asked me he asked me so what'd you think and I said well I said first thing is is I thought maybe it was going a little slow before it got to the tree why it got in trouble and then you know we take timing out and all this kind of stuff and slowed it down too much and things like that and he goes well why do you think it was too slow before it got to the tree and I go I don't know I don't think the motor was as sharp or maybe the blower wasn't as sharp when we hit the gas on it like that and he goes hmm he goes, you're probably going to be all right because he's like you're one of the first guys that's ever asked for anything and asked for the bad runs and not just look at the good ones i thought oh that's probably the biggest compliment i've ever had and i'm like hmm i guess my mindset was going the right direction so especially coming from someone as cantankerous as what he is yeah he's i got this funny stories it's pretty good stories yeah. let, let, let's let's hear some some coil <laughs> stories and some force all right stories. so we had excursions back in the day, right? And I would always have to have his water. And I don't even know if he knows this. He doesn't, I've never revealed this before. Anyway, so he'd always have to have his water for him in there. But on Sunday mornings, you know, in the before first round, he would always call his wife and everything and talk. And then he would, he had all this vitamins and stuff that he would take with that Medlin got him on, right? All these vitamins. Like he would, so he'd take his pill thing, and, ah, you know, like this, and then he'd grab his water, and then he'd go good, 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 and swallow all those pills at one time. Well, I got to the point where I, I tightened up the lids like a little extra tight on the water bottles with a pair of pliers. I thought it'd be funny if he just grabbed the water one time and he was like, eh, you know, trying to open it. So, and he went like that with the pills, and he was one of those bottles, and he's like, eh, eh, like that. And then all he started choking, you know, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I, I mean, I'm, he might be going down, right? <laughs> I get that thing opened up. And go, oh, thanks, man. You know, and, you know, he gets it all swallowed down and everything. But, you know, what he also would do is that those excursions had those big old wide mirrors. And so going through the pits and stuff, I was always had to ride shotgun. And it was always like, Ugh! you know, he's hitting, like going to hit people and stuff, you know, and I'm just like over there all butt puckered up. Ah. And then every once in a while, he'd like catch somebody with a mirror and stuff. And he's like, these people just gal away, you know, driving. And all I'm like, ah. Oh. So I end up putting in an extra, uh, you know, the start buttons on the, on the old cars on the passenger side and hooked it up to the horn. That way I could control the horn. So we'd be going through and I see somebody's, ah, somebody's getting away. I go beep, you know, like that. And they go, oh, and get out of the way. And he was always like turning around looking like, who the hell's honking at us, you know? 
And finally, after about four or five races, he was looking at me. I just went beep, beep, like that, you know, and he's like, that's a pretty good one like that, you know? So anyway, that, it was fun stories like that. I mean, it's very rarely ever got anything past him for sure. So, so he, uh, he definitely had a little bit of a, a fun side to him to go with the, uh, the absolute uh, sharpest attack side, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, he likes to eat like nice places like really nice places. And so there were a couple of handful of times that I got invited with the other crew chiefs, you know, to go and eat with Medlin and, and those guys. And, and I mean, it was fine dining and I've never been introduced to that before. And then there was one time we were at this place and like, they, they basically flipped for like the bill and I got it. And I'm not talking like we went to Texas roadhouse or something like I'm talking like $200 a head kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you order everything independently, right? One green bean at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Expensive green beans, right? So, I, yeah, I caught the bad end on that one time. And I, I don't know, I thought I was going to get bankrupt, you know, at one point. But just to survive, to go through the crew chief dinner, you know. <laughs> what, what about with Force? Because I've had him on the show. And, mm -hmm. I mean, the dude, like, his personality is a straight-up legend. And what was some of your interactions with him like? <laughs> for it's so funny because so at the time when i got hired guido is uh dean Antonelli, so you know he tunes uh, caps right now right for dsr anyway i was replacing him on john's car huge huge replacement because guido has been the guy right and won championships with john and john you know it was right hand guy and here i am coming in and nobody even knows me and coming in and taking his job right and he's going over to do ashley force's car her first year so ron douglas was with him on that car and for the first five months or something like that force always called me ron instead of rob right so he called me ron well one day in the beginning there was a, some kind of alteration that happened on ashley's car and it had something to do with douglas pinning somebody up against a locker or something right and force you know came up to me out in the shop and he's like <clears throat> he's hey ron he's like <clears throat> we can't be uh, uh stringing these kids up by their neck up against the lockers okay as much as we want to sometimes he goes but uh we can't do that okay i just want to let you know that and i go oh no you you need to talk to ron douglas i'm rob winland right and he's like oh, oh okay yeah but that still didn't fix it like he still called me ron for quite quite a while so anyway i think he knows who i am now anyway so Cause we should come back out in Johnny Gray's car. And he's like, isn't that that guy used to work for us? You know, and go out and whip their ass every once in a while. So I think he, he, he knows I'm Rob Winland now. <laughs> and it's just like, when you're around him enough, you realize that's just how he is. It's like constantly like go. I mean, I don't know if the, does he have an on off switch? Is that how he sleeps? Like his wife has to just turn him off at night. I mean, I don't know if he sleeps honestly, like, He's got so many things going on. You know what I mean? It's like his head's completely full. And if it wasn't for Robert, man, I don't even know if he'd even be around. That's his sanity. Because we all have to have that yin and yang, right? And he has to have that sanity of somebody to bring him back down. And that's Robert, you know? And I've, I've, I've seen all the little things of force here and there and his little quirks and things like that. And, and I know he's got a big, huge heart for his family. Um, he's also a business guy, too. But when he gets in that race car, he's he's pretty racy. I used to have to sit, like one of my jobs was I sit right in between the tire and the header as he's sitting there in the staging lanes and stuff. 
and I would have a, uh, a paper towel that was dampened in a Ziploc bag and he would go like this and I'd pull it out of there real fast so he could wipe his eyes, you know, in case dust or anything else was in there. And I'm sure there's somebody that still does it to this day and um, or sweat, you know, what I mean, and I, I had to carry that with me all the time. And I remember one time I didn't have it like we were rushing and blah, blah, blah and all this. And he went like that. I said, John, I don't have one. I will get one, though. Right. And he was cool. But it only happened one time and I don't know, 400 runs or whatever the heck it was. But, um, you know, he is wound different from anybody that I know. Um, I know at one point we weren't doing real well and he thought maybe that somebody was sabotaging the car, you know, at some point. And and Coyle had calmed him down and told him, like, John, nobody is sabotaging the car. We just want you to know that everybody's doing everything they can to make sure it's going down the track. And he goes, but it's my fault because it's not happening. You know, so he gets to thinking like that sometimes. But, man, I mean, um, he's made our sport. He's I've I've grown from working for him. And um, I can't say enough good things about him for what uh, uh, what he's done for us, you know, in that aspect. I joked with him and I told him on the show, I'm like, listen, I knew where you were at on the track at all times because the crowd would go insane didn't matter what was going on the track but you knew he was coming on his little scoot scooter if he was standing on the line because people would just scream and yell i mean it's it's insane the 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 level of magnetism he has i got a story this is from mark oswald and it's got to be true and i asked force about it and it did happen so oswald he's talking to oswald i think at one point he went oswald to drive one of his cars before uh, Tony Pedregon, right? And it forces, or, you know, I think uh, Oswald's the only one that still has a winning record against that guy, you know? And he's talking to him at the ropes and he's signing and this and that. And anyway, so he's talking, you know, he's always just going 100 mile an hour. Well, he goes and, like, what he thinks he's picking up a baby or whatever, a little kid or something like that. And he picks him up and this guy's like, put me down, put me down. And it was a little person, right? <laughs> and he was going to sign him, but he's like, oh my goodness, right? And then after he left, and he, he told, he told, Mark Oswald, he goes, those little guys are strong like that. You know, <laughs> That's a true story. That's a true story. I, I could only like, you, you don't have to necessarily reiterate it's a true story because everybody that's listening to this right now is playing that out in their mind and seeing it happen. <laughs> you imagine a little guy kicking like, you know, in the confusion on John's face. Yeah. That's... Oh yeah. Well, Oswald was crying. like telling me the story even I'm like, Oh my God. Well, that'd be a good good video right there. Yeah, that, that's one of the ones where you, you wish you had cell phone videos at the time, right? That's right, yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break here on the Dragzine Podcast to hit up our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk what it's like working at JFR and DSR here on the Dragzine Podcast. Ditch that restrictive stock air filter and let your engine breathe with Holly's new line of Intec cold air induction systems. Intec systems are available for a huge assortment of late model cars, trucks, and SUVs and deliver sizable improvements in horsepower and torque. Each system is precision molded for maximum airflow, efficiency, ease of installation, and has a washable and reusable four-layer dry air filter that ensures a long service life under your hood. To find the right Intec system for your ride, head over to holly.com today. All right, we're back. Talking with Rob Winland. Rob, not Ron, Rob Winland. <laughs> I had to think for a second. I'm like, don't call Ron. Don't call Ron. Don't call yeah. Ron. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you've got to work at these big organizations like Force and Schumacher. 
you know, what's what's that like when you get to work at these Taj Mahal kind of places when you go from, you know, maybe a smaller independent, a capable team to having like the war chest of a thousand kings? Definitely pluses and minuses. Um, the pluses are is that you're surrounded in an environment of people who want to go faster. Right. So at forces shop. Everyone is paid off of what a John Force car does. So say, you know, um, you know, Courtney won that race. Well, John's people still got paid as if they won that race because it's a single conglomeration, right? And so that effort is for everyone, you know? And so at DSR, the way it's done is you're paid as the team winning. So why would you necessarily want to have that one secret that you'd want to share with another team member that might put their car past what you're doing. Right. And I always kind of fought that a little bit, you know, cause not like I had a big bunch of secrets and stuff like that, but maybe it was the one thing I was doing that the other car wasn't doing. And that's what they needed to go faster than me, you know? Um, but I didn't get paid on that other guy's car, you know, as far as a bonus or something like that, but, but you still do work for the organization. You want the organization to do well, and all that, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't pay out that way, your efforts, um, that's not that much fun, but, but to have the availability of a blower dyno, right? And a fuel pump, you know, bench and all these different things, a machine shop to make something for you, you know, the one-off part that would normally, you know, take you eight hours in a bridge port or something and they can knock it out in about one, you know, those kinds of things, that was like just awesome. And then, having good friends in those organizations that you could bounce things off. So it's like being at the track all day long because when you're at the racetrack, everyone's racy and they're talking and yeah, I did this or I did that or, or whatever. So you have that constantly going on. But the downside, the downside is that in most of those organizations, there's like a, a peer of people, right? And the owner has his guy, whoever that may be. And that person is kind of controlling what's all going on, you know? So at some point you're going to have to lick bananas or whatever you want to say. You're going to have to get your nose brown or something like, and, and you got to fit in with the click sometimes, you know? So the independent guys don't do real well in those big organizations. Um, Johnny West is a, an example of a, a man who's very, very smart and, but he's not a big organization person. He's an independent guy. I'm kind of an independent guy, um, but you know, it's, it's not a ball liquor, right? You know, to stay in the click because this owner's asking this one person what he thinks about everything else, and he may not know, you know. And so there is, you know, politics, and that part sucks. And it there's just no changing that. That's the way that's always going to be, but. Um, so when you have an independent team like Terry here, you know, it's like you stay focused. Um, like, hell, we build our own chassis in-house. Like, there's a lot of teams out there that, that can't do that, you know. Um, we're probably the only independent team that builds their own chassis. I think Bill Miller, he built his own chassis, I think. But, um, but actually, and it went out and it hauls ass, you know. So we don't get test runs. Our test runs are qualifying, you know, at some of these events. Um, you know, as far as like designing cylinder heads and things like, we don't do any of that, you know, um, we get that from the big bucket stores, you know, we buy cylinder heads from DSR and, 
that kind of thing. And we get blowers from Darren Mayer, but there's little things that you can do to them to make them a little bit better, how you put them together and that kind of thing. But um, so working for them, it has, it's definitely it's big highs of getting that information and having all those equipment and all that. And if your budget is there, like when I was with Johnny Gray, we had a great budget. There's several things that we tested, you know, um, that panned out to be a loss, but you didn't know which direction to go until something like that happened, you know? And um, anyway, so um, definitely would I go to work for another one um, to, for my family to survive, of course, um, I would, you know? Um, I'd probably have to apologize to Don Schumacher a little bit, but I'd probably be okay with that. <laughs> I mean, we talk, we're friendly and all that, but we're competitors too, as far as belt business wise on blower belts and stuff. So anyway, um, but forces definitely. Um, but I, I like working for Terry. He leaves me alone. You know, when, when we do have a deal going on, leaves me alone, allows me to do what's necessary. And, and I definitely work within the budget of what we have to race with and try and put good people around me. And everybody can keep their nose clean because they're not out seeing what John's doing, this guy's doing this, that, you know, all running around and that kind of thing. So it's actually pretty cool. And the independent deal, that's kind of like what I like to do anyway. So essentially you have on the plus side of the, the big teams is you have those resources, but there's a lot of things that kind of, they're little shiny objects, things distract you. Whereas on these smaller teams where you can really kind of uh, hone the craft of a, crew chiefdom right yeah and then you do run across something that has changed your life as far as making it go fast right you can contain it right where you're not your pit's not wide open and all this and you're not having to share this information or or you had to go to the machine shop and get something made and we're going to test it well then 10 other people already know that you've made this piece and it and it did something right well then you've got to control that leak now because that guy in the machine shop probably eats dinner with the guy that works over at Forces Machine Shop or something. You know what I mean? So you're sitting there con trying to control whatever little benefit that you've been able to produce, you know, without exploding all over the place. But yet you want to be a team player, you know, and be able to say, hey, we did this and now we've get, you know, we get more runs on our rods or something or whatever it may be. You know, we gained this performance from this and share that information with your team but you've just gave away another piece of the puzzle that's going to probably, you know, not give you that advantage to be a, just that little click faster because we know how the races are anymore. It's stupid. Like, you know, Brainerd, what we had two finals that were just crazy close, you know, and maybe it was just that little thing, right. That would have changed it to put one nose in front of the other. So you just always want that stuff to fall out of your hands. Well, that's interesting. That rolls perfectly into my next question, because I know from the small tire radial side, what we would look at and, you know, you know, other forms of drag racing to after a data, after a run to see what we need to improve to make things go faster. A nitro car is a big, angry animal. Where are you trying to figure out on that animal how to make improvements? Well, the first thing is the happier the engine is, the better off hey, your budget, number one. <laughs> Yeah. Number two, if it's happy, it's it's running good, right? And so the parts transition's down and all this other stuff. You can run fast and have an ugly motor, but you can only run as far as how many times doing that. You know what I mean? Like uh, if it's throwing the rods out of it, well, you got to have a shitload of motors laying around to keep feeding it that kind of tune-up. Um, so 
for me, we make a run and I'm testing something and it's really hard in a nitro car to say um, that that fixed it or that did it. You know, oh, I see an improvement, those kinds of things. Because what you have to do is you have to go A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. So you're gonna do it three times. Well, you never have the same conditions. Track temperatures changed. It, the conditions, the atmospheric conditions are changed. Um, didn't have the exact same blower on it. And so it didn't make as exactly the power that it was you know, supposed to. So it's really tough sometimes to sit there and say, I'm testing something and this is what I found out. But the thing you have to do is diagnose everything that does happen. Like I'm all over this motor, pistons, rings, what the cylinders look like, bearings, all this stuff, what the color of the clutch disc are when they come out. Every run, we look at this thing. And if I've got my people trained to where they're looking for things too. Like you're my eyeballs too, because I don't have this many eyeballs to, you know, and so it may be the, the stupidest thing that they come and talk to you about, but I always told them there's never ever a stupid thing that you can question me about that I need to look at that you think there might be something wrong. Cause I'm gonna explain it to you if I don't know or do know, and that's gonna make you a better person, you know, on down the road and more valuable for the team. So um, to me, the stuff that we get off the computer, you know, from the run is a backup for what I saw. It's a reference. Now we can't see exactly what the wheel speed is exactly when it's leaving, but if you stand behind these piece of craps long enough, you get a pretty good idea and a feel for what happens in that one second time period in a hundred foot, right? And so you definitely use that as a reference to what you've seen. And then you use it as a reference of what your parts look like. And so, cam timing and all these other little different things, how much compression level you run with that cam timing, with that lobe and how much blower overdrive you had and what that blower, what it's capable of, all those things play into, you know, that combination that we talked about and diagnosing what the best motor it is to have for what atmospheric conditions you're at. Does that even make sense at all? Yes, it, it sure. makes sense because it explains that Nitro engines are very sensitive sledgehammers. It's, a, it's so mad. You know, honestly, we do not know what the cam actually is when this thing's running. And let me explain that to you. Because at top dead center, say it's 3,600 pounds of pressure, right? When it's firing. At bottom dead center, it still has 1,600 pounds of cylinder pressure, right? And now it's going to push that piston. It's trying to open the exhaust valve up against it. And it's pushing the piston up against it. And so it's still firing. Thus, we see flames coming out the exhaust, right? Nitro burns very slowly. And there's so much volume, right? It's still burning when it's trying to exit. So that all that pressure from that thing trying to open going on with, we have crappy design. The Hemi is really kind of a crappy design for Valtrain anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially we can't move things around because of rules like valve angles, that kind of thing. So we're kind of stuck with the best of what we can do, you know, push rod links and how we have the rocker arm, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so that camshaft and, and this is why I can prove that. So when we were with um, Antron Brown and they made a 60 millimeter cam motor. Right. And I think you can't run one. Well, you can't put one in right without raising it. Well, we were able to get one in a motor and shave rod bolts the whole nine yards. And we went and start this thing up. <laughs> you just thought that we didn't have the plug wires on right or something like that. It was a piece of crap. 
same grind of camshaft, except no flex and actually had better control of what it was doing. And it was way too much. So it just tells us right there, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we have no idea what the hell we got for a camshaft. So, so you make changes in a camshaft and see if it was the result that you wanted, basically. Who cares what the number is? You know, it doesn't even matter. And that's what, again, is fascinating about these engines and what, you know, I think that the people take for granted and what it takes just to get them to run, do a burnout, let alone go three seconds in a thousand feet because they are just, there's so many forces trying to cause that engine to eat itself and have a not so happy ending that just getting like any run down the track should be considered a good run, really, oh, if you yes, think about for it. Sure. it. Oh, that's a hundred percent, right? You won. You know, always just to tell them like it, we'd come back and we'd find something that almost happened, right? Like maybe it broke a tip off of a push rod or something, right? And you look at it and like, holy crap, it made it. I said, guess what, Terry? We just won the race. He goes, how's that? I said, it was one step away from opening the intake up and knocking the blower clear off this thing. So that had been a set of heads, a short block, a blower, intake manifold, an injector. So you wind that up, it's 80 grand, right? Well, to win a race at an NHRA event, used to be anyway, 50 grand to win the race. And so if you got away with that one little stipulation that happened, you won the race. You actually made like 30 more thousand dollars if you look at it that way, because that shit's got to be replaced, you know? So you know, all those little things, but these, these motors, here's what, coil explained it the best. We'd look at the pieces, right? It's got pistons and shit laying everywhere. And you can't really see exactly what happened. And he would say, well, looks like it just had a nitro event. And that's what it was. And it was an event that was caused by nitro. An, un an unplanned high energy disassembly. Yep. And Johnny West says he already knows what the reason was. He knows the reason every time. He can look at it, the, all this crap laying around, everything, and go, I know what's wrong with it right now. He goes, you pulled the kill wires. Started. that's what did it <laughs> that's his famous saying you know I, I think you'll you'll appreciate this is uh i saw a uh a screw blown pro mod crew chief one time say this after the car made it down the track well, a lot of bad stuff could have happened it wasn't happy and he just turned to the other crew guy and said well it didn't blow up so we got that going for us and they just walked <laughs> back to the golf cart i'm like <laughs> You know, yep. that's a very, very, yep. very These good things point have to... a mind of their own for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it, it's it's even more maddening when you've got a fresh engine put together. Everything should be perfect. And it still decides to, you know, send a rod into low orbit. You're like, why? You know, it's just yeah. just because. Right. Just because. Yep. It's just because it's like, why well, is the positive check working? A, what is it? A 68, whatever that is on. What show was that? Oh, no, it was Joe Dirt. Yeah. Right. Remember that? And says, why is it working a pulse track on one? It just does. Just does. <laughs> it just does. Well, we're going to take another quick break here to hit up another sponsor. When we come back, we're going to start talking about some of the significant things that have happened in nitro racing right here on the Drag Zine podcast. Manly dual drag series valve springs provide the low capabilities of triple springs with a reduced size and mass of dual springs. This provides improved valve train control and a higher RPM potential. An additional benefit over triple springs is the reduced friction, which greatly reduces load loss, while a multi-step surface enhancement improves fatigue strength. Check them out at manlyperformance.com. All right, we're back. 
with Rob Wendland talking about exploding motors and signing midgets and all kinds of fun stuff. And, you know, <laughs> little people. Yeah. Little people, little people. My bad. I'm, I've, yeah. Political correctness <laughs> sometimes isn't my good thing. I'm sure I'm going to get some, some funny emails about that, but you know, it happens now again, it's always fun. Like I said, to talk to guys that have been around for a while, you know, especially, you know, that, that eighties on time window, because you've got to see a lot of things happen in nitro racing. Let's talk about some of the stuff that you've seen happen improved performance wise that have changed nitro racing and what makes those so special. You know, it's, you know, fuel pump technology, blower technology. I mean, there's a million and one things that you guys have uh, unlocked with these cars. What are some of the things you've, you know, you've been along for the ride to see kind of come to fruition. Um, I would have to say is Dave Leahy with electric motion. His systems have changed drag racing and made it what it is today. Um, as far as the consistency goes, the, the um, that's the biggest thing. Safety wise is the next thing. Um, that was huge. Um, after uh, Scott Coletta's accident, in you know English Town, we had to race the next day. I remember sitting on a tire, and and Force came up to me. And he's like, "What's wrong, kid?" And I go, "I feel like we haven't done anything to prevent this from happening again." You know, and this was Sunday morning, and uh, by the next race, Brian Karate, he had uh, Melanie Troxel's car, I believe, or Mike Ashley was driving one or the other. By the time we showed up, I think it was Norwalk or whatever, but he had put a system on it that automatically shut the fuel pump off uh, on a bimba, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and then it was the next thing was that we're going to deploy the chutes also at X amount of time. So it's just going to happen. So if she's pedaling it and all that stuff, it's just going to, it's going to throw them out anyway, you know, because it was just on a timer. So it didn't have something happen to activate something to do something, you know what I'm saying? So that's where Dave Leahy stepped in and he made the safety boxes and things like that. And then that turned into, um, we were able to take the pneumatic timers that we used to have to, we used to have a block of timers that would set off another block of pills that were returning fuel back to the tank. Because of course you can't use all that fuel when you hit the gas, but when it's out in the middle of the track, you need all that gas. So these timers would set, you know, tick, 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 and close off these jets and put more fuel in the motor as it's going down the track. And they were always a pain in the butt to set. And they were never that consistent and they were clunk, clunky, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So they came along and we were able to use electronic things to make other things happen. Uh, so, I was with Johnny Gray and we were in, in Vegas and it's a great picture. Matter of fact, it was the best picture in motorsports of 2012, I believe. The Valvoline car launching the bodies like clear over the scoreboards, flying in the air. And it was Friday night at Las Vegas. And we were like sitting number two and we we're the last cars to run with Cruz Pedregon. And I, man, I got her tuned up. I threw some clutch on this puppy like I haven't done before. I'm like, we're going we're going to the number one spot, right? And I lean in there and I said, hey, if it makes it, it ought to be pretty spectacular like that. And he's like, all right, man. And so closed it up, it gets out there and it's hauling ass and it had so much clutch and it pulled the motor down. Well, it pulls the motor down. The fuel pump isn't spinning as fast. So it's not getting as much fuel. There wasn't a big enough pump on it to have reserve in it to feed the motor what it needed. And it leaned out for a second and blew the body off of it. I go down there and I'm like, man, are you okay? He's like, yeah, he goes, don't ever lean in and tell me that it might be spectacular. Don't ever do that to me again, right? 
anyway, so at that point, I'm like, man, I'm like, how can I fix this? Like, you know what I mean? So when that fuel pressure level drops below X, I want to be sure and put air on top of my regulator, right? And force that air in there. That way, so it never gets lean like that. And I asked Dave Leahy, can you build me something like that? He says, yes, I can. And we did. And it was, it was called, you know, it was a fuel regulator is what it was. And so what happened was that somebody got a hold of the fuel regulator that I wanted and they turned that into a clutch regulator. So in a fuel car, how much clutch pressure is how many fingers around the bearing being held back from working. And as you release the bearing, these fingers come off and the pr clutch pressure goes down. So that's how it controls the application of the clutch. Now, if you have a timer and something looking at that pressure, you can control how you want that clutch to come in. That changed drag racing. And I'll tell you what that's called. It's almost traction control to a certain extent. So a long time, those was called a fuel regulator in those boxes, but it was actually being used as a clutch regulator. Ooh, how's that? Nobody's that's, heard that shit before. That's wild. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, that... So, Wow. Even with that, like now, you know, we can count the revolutions on the front tire, you know, and get this thing down there at a thousand and fifty foot and shut the throttle blades for whoever might be wanting to keep going, save parts, save lives, all that kind of stuff. And by far to me, Dave Leahy is the guy that has changed that and made it so much better for so many people. It's hard to say how many lives he's changed that he's saved, you know, with with some of the safety stuff that he has. That's an interesting answer. I wasn't expecting that, but that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely to hear because it, it it's interesting that I think that, you know, people maybe think that these cars are like way more technologically advanced in some aspects than what they really are when it comes down to it. I mean, it's, it's probably mm -hmm. pretty, pretty simple, right? We're limited to like what we can do. Like we don't have traction control, but we can try and, you know, control the clutch, but clutch wear dictates this, you know, how much power it had, and you're changing gaskets by a thousandths, right, in between rounds, and blower overdrive, you know, a half percent, and all this crap, oh, I put a half a degree of timing in it in this area or something, right, and so you just want the same power level you go up there every time, so it's going to wear the same clutch, but you got, oh, shoot, the track's 20, 20 degrees hotter now, you know what I mean? Oh, we better back off some clutch. Oh, well, I better take out fuel now because it's not going to burn that. And these, you wouldn't believe what a crew chief has to think, you know, during a race scenario um, to get it all right. But we don't have all the stuff that's automated. Once we set it, it kind of is set in stone and a guy hits a switch and it, that's what happens, right? The clutch regulator is about the only thing that can change something to make something else happen. So that's why you can call it traction control, but it's just clutch control. So, but it has helped these cars tremendously make more solid, consistent passes. It's funny that guys maybe in a top sportsman car, you know, they might, you know, think, well, I do something similar. You know, well, yeah, here's the difference though. At a hundred feet, if you're tune up, if something doesn't get happy, the car might just run a little bit slower, may kick the tires. In a nitro car, when you change X, the, the why that's going to change might end up leading to a blower being picked up by radar by NORAD. That's, <laughs> that is the difference. Hey, you know, I'm the last one to launch a blower off a car, right? Oh, you, it, you remember that in Houston? Right. So it's going down through there and there's big old bumps in Houston. Let's say must have got like a gulp of air. It leaned for a second, blew this thing up, right? Two piece manifold on it. The inner part of the manifold comes out right? The blower's in the air. 
The blower gets a run at it, rips the straps off of it. I think the I think the plate was from like Doug Foley from ten years prior or something. You know what I mean? And anyway, but it was SFI'd or whatever, and it was aluminum. So all that's changed since then. We changed a lot of rules that day. Yeah. Anyway, so the blower comes off the car and it's flying through the arse like a gyro. It lands down, straight down with the injector on it, on the track, skidding around like this. And Tony uh, Schumacher's in the other lane, right? And he's going, oh crap, it's in my lane. He goes, rrr, 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 and gets stopped. And like the wing just like, just, just bumps it, the blower. Cause it's sitting in front of his car upright and the injector's fine. It's crazy, same thing. We ran that thing again like that, but our car was of course destroyed, but that's pretty much the last time a blower came completely off a car. So you're the reason for the safety briefing that happened after that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, the reason, you're the reason for a rule change. Was that me? <laughs> you yeah. know, we have a bar in the fourth or in the fifth bay right on these cars, you know, a bar that keeps the, the lower rails from coming in, right? And everybody's named it the Leah bar. Is now is what that's called, the Leah bar. Because, you know, it had an event. Now we're going to put this bar in. It's because of Leah's accident that we put this bar in, you know, so it's the Leah bar. So I don't have anything named personally after me like that. So that's good, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's funny that uh, there's not a more terrifying feeling for a media person at the drag strip when you see parts leave a vehicle and you lose you, you lose visual on them. That is not a fun feeling. I have been on the starting line when a top sportsman car grenaded an intake, scoop going everywhere, carbs flying, and it took me a half second to realize, hey, that went up. It's got to come down. Where's it at? That, that's not a fun feeling. So that, that time in, in Houston when this happened, that two-piece manifold, the lower part folded in. It came out of the car. It was behind the car for a second. The, the slow-mo, if you guys go to a YouTube video or and just look me up, right, um, for NHRA, Terry McMillan, Blow Up Houston. I do a slow-mo reenactment through NHRA on this. And you can see the intake manifold is behind the car, part of it, and then hit the chutes come out. That slows the car down, but it didn't slow the manifold down. So the manifold comes and hits the tire, blows the tire, the tire like comes off in like a big flap, right? It takes and grabs that manifold and launches it. It launched it, uh, see it was at 2,300 some feet, cool. 400 foot off from the center line of the track, stuck in the ground that far in front of an RV. And it kind of bounced off of a guy a little bit when it did it. How's that? A year later, the guy came back and gave us the piece. <laughs> he got you guys need this back wow we're like yeah we looked all over for it nobody could ever find it so but he had it and he, and he brought it back then i think terry signed it and said you can just keep it and like we're cool right well, <laughs> you're okay that's like that diesel dude at the uh ucc event there at uh ir at indy that launched that you know gritting of that motor the oh, piston yeah. hit the top of the sign and that that just that sent shivers up my spine. I'm like, man, that could have ended nine kinds of bad. Yep, for sure. But I will give the guy credit that picked it up. At least he was smart enough to pull out his Leatherman and pick it up because I've seen people pick up things that are an owl hot burn before. I'm like, oh, you're, you're about to learn. I got one. I, I tell this real quick. It was yeah. in, um, let's see here. What the track is that? Rockingham, right? When NHRA used to run there. Doug Herbert, here he comes. Round and boom, right? 
I'm standing at the fence with Tony Bartone. We're like, oh man, like that. And there's crap laying everywhere, you know? And here, here's this thing bouncing like this. And I go, oh my gosh, that's the blower. And Tony Bartone goes, if that's the blower, it's got horns on it. It was a head that was flipping around on the track. Well, Whoa. here comes any trade guy running out there. He grabs hold of it. And he's like, whoop. <laughs> it was it was like a whole hysterical moment of crap going on but tony bartone is the one that made it so damn funny it's got like, horns on it it's got horns on it man it was so hilarious but anyway well i've got one final question for you and i love to throw different things like at my guest via time machines or you know unlimited bank account but you now are the lord emperor of nitro racing if you're in charge of the rules of nitro racing what three things would you change to make it more affordable and competitive at our level the yeah. top fuel level Ooh, probably have to drain the swamp you know drain the swamp a little bit and i think there's going to have to be a whole new thought press about how this is going to be ran um you know if, if nhra sold right now who would get the money say they sold nhra for 60 million dollars and this was brought up to me not too long ago who, who receives the money? That's because, a good question. Right? Who owns it? The members? Yeah. And so if you're a member, then you should probably get some of that money. But you don't have any really voting rights in this whole gig of what's going on. So it's kind of weird. Anyway, so I think something would have to happen at that level. Um, first round losers for qualifying and things like that, it needs to be like $15,000. Give a reason why you would want to show up with a fuel car and compete at an NHRA race instead of having 11 or 12 cars there and they're like showing up for chump change, 8,000 or something now or whatever it is, you know, make it worth their while. Um, the end payout should be higher. I think that would bring in more cars. Performance wise, what could you do that wouldn't cost you a, a crazy amount of money to get this thing under control, not necessarily take a bunch of things away as far as the excitement, the flames and all this kind of thing, but you're going to have to slow it down a little bit, probably gear ratio, right? We're all mandated to run a 320. You put a 350 gear in one of these things, that's going to slow her down. It's going to be less hard on parts and you're still going to have rev limiter stuff that's going to be in effect. So it's not like you're going to wind this thing up and do something. So it's going to be easier on everything. Everybody has to replace a gear. That's a, that's a consumable. You know, you only get X amount of runs on a gear, except there's going to be manufacturers that have to make a gear like that for 350s. There's going to be a little expense there. That's something you could do. You could easily take one Magneto away and guess what? It gets cheaper Yeah. because you can't burn that amount of fuel. Now I could sit there and say, okay, you could, you could go ahead and have a spec fuel pump, right? Here's your fuel pump. It's 100 gallons. This is all you get. And this is, you can only make X amount of power with it. That's it. The more fuel you can ram in the horns of one of these things, the more power it makes. That's all there is to it. So if you can't run that much in there, you can't run that fast. That it's less hard on parts. So there's no one to police that, right? A, a fuel pump. You can police a mag. You can do that because it ain't there. Yeah. That's seriously, you can run low 80s with a single mag pretty easily. You know, you really can. And I mean, we beat Torrance one time. I'm like, man, why'd you, why'd you guys slow down? You guys were like running like low 70. And, we, you know, we ran an 84 or something. And they ran an 85. He goes, it only ran on one mag. I'm like, 
Yeah. Learn something new today. That's right. Yep. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, <clears throat> um, you know, they're talking about doing all these front halves and everything, you know, <clears throat> changing the spec for the tubing thickness. You know, it's 049 right now. The new rule that just came out you know, a couple months ago is 065 for safety reasons. And everybody's concerned of what that's going to do with the car and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think I only have, we've got like five or six passes now with Larry Dixon's car. And uh, I just did that. I put an 065 front end on it. And it is exactly the same as it was when it was 049. It's just 20 some percent stronger, you know, but it's a cost, you know, it's like $7,500 to get a new front end put on your car, you know? So is that going to make it cheaper? It's just going to make it safer. But all these things that are mandated for these people to have to do to stay in the sport when you already don't have enough money there to support it. Um, something needs to change in the higher ups of things of how we're looking at this business being ran. You know what else I don't like? This is what I don't like. There is no animosity at all. I'm probably the most vocal crew chief out there. I will say that. Right? When you think? Yeah. Kind of. I mean, who else has got a YouTube channel? Yeah, exactly. Right? Nobody else does. And if you they catch me on the start line, I tell it how it is. Like, blah, blah, blah. It's fun. Let's have fun. You know, blah, blah. Anyway, who wants to hear um, <clears throat> uh, the benzoline car today was a good car. It ran good. I hate running that guy because, you know, he's a good friend of mine. Hey, Jerry. I didn't mean to kick your butt. <laughs> who wants to hear that crap? They want to hear crap like this. I go, I hate that guy's guts. All day I thought about is just ripping his head off his shoulders and, you know, and crapping down his throat. And guess what? The AC Delco car just did that, right? It just did that. There's more to come, right? And walk away. And then you go and eat lunch with that guy later or whatever. But it's like, you know, there's no fight at all. You know, what people talk about? They talk about Clay and Doug 20 years ago, you know, on the start line. Nobody's going in and there's poor little Doug or poor little Clay and there's big Doug, Dougzilla. That's how he got his name, right? It's like those moments are gone. We had a staging battle in Pro Stock, you know, at Topeka, right? That got a lot of views, right? They got a lot of views, Bruno and whoever the other guy was, right? Yeah. And it's like, bring that crap back. And who said it best was the guy, uh, Gennard owned Oakley. He said this like 12 years ago, you guys got to change it. And Scotty Cannon, when he was driving, he told Scotty, he says, you don't have to say Oakley. If they can't figure it out by the way you look, and what it says on the car and what's on your deal, don't plug Oakley. Have a good time. Say whatever you want. Make them remember that you were there. I'm like, cool. That's that's how it should be, 100%. There needs to be a little bit more of a, you know, we live in a soundbite society. You want to get people to pay attention to drag racing, put some soundbites in there. <laughs> Give them some real names, too. I love Jack Beckman. The fast Jack Beckman, that really ain't the... That ain't the cool name, like the Hawaiian or, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, the snake, right? Those, that was the shit back then, you know, and we've let that get all commercialized. Here comes Davey Ray. He's coming down the hill. No, make the show a show. Make it exciting. Put your crew members in there. There's a lot of interesting people out there and they're killing themselves to do this job, right? We used to talk about those people and now it's all gone. You know, we're talking about. 14 bugs that clearly, you know, climbed underneath there and turned a light on or something or whatever it may be. But it's like, God, man, bring some stuff back on this television show. Put me on that damn television show. 
let me tell you what. Yeah, they bet they're going beep, beep, beep a lot and all that other crap, but I'll tell you what, I make it exciting. Yeah. You, you keep the producer on his toes, right? That's right. He should be. Yeah. He should if be. I got him on his toes, then people watching at home, they're going to be on their toes. Exactly. Probably. Oh my God, he's going to say it. <laughs> Shit, he just did it. <laughs> well, Rob, our time here is coming to an end. I like to give our guests the channel their inner John Force and thank all their sponsors and plug what they need to plug. I know you got some stuff you want to talk about. So uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Take it away. I appreciate it, first of all, for having me. Um, if everybody uh, look me up on my YouTube channel, uh, we didn't talk about it too much, but it's like I've got a lot of cool videos about top fuel and building chassis and all, it changes all the time. And um, it's just Rob Winland at YouTube. But I want to thank, you know, for, on Terry's sake, uh, Amelie for sticking with them for 19 years, you know, and um, I still believe they have somewhat of a contract It's just suspended right now, but they've been nothing but good, you know, to Terry and Terry McMillan's been nothing but but good to me. And um, we look at our relationship as a partnership and we don't have any money or anything whatsoever, but I do have a, a side business that kind of sells some blower belts and stuff like that. And we do some NASCAR stuff. And a lot of those parts are through good vibrations and um, RCD and, and uh, SRI, um, which buys the NASCAR side of stuff and things like that. And I just appreciate everybody that's, that's helped me through Corona and for waiting out this, this whole deal and hopefully you know, we get blessed with having some kind of uh, sponsorship here soon. So, but man, I really do appreciate you having me and I, I just appreciate life in general right now. Awesome. It was great having you on the show. And of course, I got to thank my sponsors, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, Procharger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Fuel Air Spark Technology, Elderbrock, Manly, JE Pistons, and Dart all allow me to come on here and have a good time with people like you, Rob. I really appreciate it. Dang, you're loaded up with sponsors. You know, it's just good you know, job. Got, got to do what I got to do. You know, I, I don't have like the full fun fire shoot with all the sponsors on there. So I got to rattle them off. You think I've memorized by now, but I forgot what I did 10 minutes ago, let alone remembering all those names. <laughs> well, that's cool that you get help. That's very, that's very fortunate, man. That's really cool. Got to keep them going that way. But Rob, once again, thank you for coming on the show and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.